Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Sonia Choquette. She's a world-renowned intuitive guide and spiritual teacher who is the author of 19 international best-selling books, including the New York Times bestseller, The Answer is Simple. She's also done numerous audio programs and card decks and was ed- educated at the University of Denver and at the Sorbonne in Paris. She holds a PhD in metaphysics from the American Institute of Holistic Theology. And her new book is called Walking Home, A Pilgrimage from Humbled to Healed, which is the story of her journey on the Camino de Santiago, the 840-kilometer pilgrim's route from France across the Pyrenees to Santiago de Compostela in Spain. Welcome, Sonia. I am so delighted you could join us. Oh, I'm so happy to be with you. Thank you so much. You know, Sonia, I have read so many books by pilgrims on the Camino that I didn't quite expect to be as completely engaged as I was with your book. This is an intensely personal book, and I really found it quite riveting. Why did you decide to sort of bear all? I feel, first of all, I think the reason I felt the urge to bear all is that I am just by nature a very transparent person. I, in the position I have, especially as a spiritual teacher, I just wanted people to know that we all as human beings go through very, very difficult times, and it is not something we should hide or be ashamed of or judge as a fall from grace, but just rather embrace as part of the human journey, and that no matter who we are, no one is exempt mm-hmm. from being challenged at the greatest, at the, at the deepest level to grow more. Hmm. You know, anyone listening to you before you took this trip would have been convinced that if anyone has it all together, it's you. We tend to put, <laughs> we tend to put spiritual teachers on a pedestal, but now it seems that you were kind of holding yourself together with the proverbial chewing gum and bailing wire. Yes. What happened to pre- precipitate this pilgrimage? Well, here's the thing. I was, I actually, in my work, and in my love of lifting up others, I definitely have always been in the flow. That comes gracefully, easily, is joyful to me. And, and yet in my own life, what I realized was that in many ways what I do for others and have done for others with such passion maybe was rooted in the secret wish that somebody would do it for me. And that all came flying up into my face when I suffered three very unexpected losses. First, the death of my brother, who was only a year older than me and who was not sick, not in any way physically sick. The shock of that killed my father, who had never been to a doctor in over 50 years and was a picture of health. He died six weeks later. And the stress of, and the, and the, it, it caused me to implode in grief. And my husband of 30 years couldn't, wasn't on board to be in relationship with me if I went into a need mode. So he left me. Hmm. And so it was the death of my marriage. Hmm. 
And I was such, I was so humbled to say, what? And what happened was a whole lifetime of, of pain and grief and disappointment and sorrow and anger that I had really spiritually danced over came crashing back in on me. And I knew that I could not stand in front of another human being on any level and be of any real genuine service in any authentic way until I healed that, that incongruency in my own life and that heartbreak. And so I prayed for an answer and was guided to walk the Camino, which was shocking to me because it was so would not be my go-to answer. But <laughs> I did it anyway. <laughs> Well, it was it was a fascinating diary. Um, it, it must have been a, overwhelming to think forward to the prospect of walking over the Pyrenees, walking so many miles on your own, and yet you you pulled it all together. Did you do this with a sense of mission or a sense of desperation? You know, I did I, neither. What I did was I have spent my life following my intuition, listening to my spirit, and not questioning. So I prayed for guidance, and that was the guidance. And it was just um, my experience Mm -hmm. to not question my guidance, to not question what I was given, even though my intellectual mind went, what are you doing? You just had, for one, I just had knee surgery. So it's like, how am I going to do this? And, and my mind was, my mind, I don't, I, I don't hike. You know, this was like, I'm not a hiker. I'm a, a I, I wear high heels and, and, <laughs> and, and, and maybe go to the store in the neighborhood, but this is not me. But I knew, I knew enough in my heart that it felt and resonated as truth that I showed up in, in faith would be the way I showed up, in pure faith, that well, this would, would help me heal. <laughs> what a powerful faith you have. You know, most of us are kind of groping around trying to find our path or our purpose or our faith. And you were already on your path and knew your purpose. Um, mm-hmm. how, uh, how did you kind of arrive at an understanding of the issues that you were dealing with? Was it, in the book, it seemed to be a kind of layer-by-layer layer revelation, appealing back. That is exactly how it was, and I had no idea it would be that way. In fact, I came with pure faith and no expectation, which was helpful. A prayer that I made it, but what happened was as I walked, what became obvious to me was that that I adhered in many ways to a spirituality that maybe went lifetimes back of noble suffering, that somehow the idea was just put up with it. Just keep being loving, keep doing, keep trying, keep giving, keep doing it, keep saying yes, and and that there was a fundamental um, incongruency with that with that belief system that in that that frankly in retrospect addiction 
in place. That addiction to my noble suffering, because I was a good warrior soul. And that, in fact, I was very wounded. And that though that strength, that warrior strength I had developed and that never say die and keep on doing and, you know, respect your vows and never quit really was not in harmony with my authentic needs, which I was not willing at up until that point anymore, willing to put a lot of importance on. <laughs> I was not conditioned to put a lot of importance on it. So when I walked... I realized that I had a lot of shame around my needs. Shame as a woman, shamed as a female, shamed as a spiritual teacher that you have needs. Why do you have needs? Why aren't you over your needs? And they just got, you know, I have to say this movie I saw in high school was called Don't Look in the Basement. Probably the most terrifying B movie, D rated movie. Um, you know, kind of slasher thriller, but the whole idea is that everything horrible went into the basement, and then one day it all came spewing out, and I really felt like my walking on the Camino, the layers where everything I stepped in the basement, out of the out of the confines of my own consciousness, I shoved it so many things so far away that I didn't even realize they were still there, and those unlayerings with each one I walked with it became a, a, a witnessing of the, my human experience, which had been in many ways tough. Hmm. And when I could witness it without hiding it and without judging it, just walk with it, it transformed into compassion and understanding. Hmm. But it, I had to walk and witness before. I couldn't just, I wanted as a spiritual person to leap forward to that compassion for all. But in reality, I did. I couldn't. It was. It was artificial. I had to walk and witness my own experience without shame, and that's what opened to real compassion and and, and release and healing. You talk a lot about your relationship with your father, in fact, with both your parents. Isn't it amazing how we internalize the traits of our parents? Suddenly we catch ourselves and say, oh, my God, I sound like my mother. And yet we also absorb their good traits. Um, yes. So tell us about your relationship with your father in particular. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, growing up, don't feel that I had any... Um, I felt like my father didn't really like me. I felt like that I was the kid, you know, that kid in the parade, the emperor's new clothes, the one that says emperor's naked. I, I kind of was that kid. And, and I think my father um, found me a bit of a threat because of that. He was very in love with my mother. And she, he had her just up on a pedestal and adored her. It was really quite a sweet love story throughout their entire life. But anything that took any attention away from her, he didn't like. And I was that kid. I was the sparkly, intuitive, creative, bright-eyed, hey, what's going on? And he didn't have a lot of... Um, room for me so I was often banished by him 
I was physically hit probably more than I should have been and probably a little harder than should have happened because of his own frustrations. And he didn't want my work. He didn't feel my work wasn't welcome and I started writing books and things. He said in our house, you know, don't talk about it. Because I think he was afraid that would upset my mother, which was all his stuff. It was all his stuff. It wasn't about my mom. It was him. So my father didn't really witness me. And I spent my whole life trying to do things for him. So he would eventually say, I see you, I love you, I, I accept you. And I didn't get a lot of that from him. So that was a big wounding for me. You put into mind one of your encounters on the Camino with a chap named, what was his name? Colum, I think. He was 73 oh, years old. Oh, so dear. Colum was so dear. Is he my, my poet? He, mm. and, you know, he just, he was like a father figure in a way. A very wise man. I was, I was saying to him, I was deciding whether or not to stay married. And I was deciding whether or not to call my husband on his birthday when, in fact, my husband and I come to a really very disappointing ending. And he said, forget about it. <laughs> just move on. Just take care of yourself. And it was so real and true and not spiteful. Just a, a message to me, take care of yourself. First, you take do what takes care of you instead of this spiritually obliged do the high you know, take the high road. He's like, take the road that works for you and that was I just loved him for that. He also said that um he felt completely comfortable in his own skin. He loved himself, and he said yes. that he never did anything for the approval of other people. Yes. That really, really kind of resonated with me because how many of us, you know, just, just kind of wag like a pathetic puppy at the sign, right. first sign of approval from anyone? And to shrink if we get what I call the proverbial stink eye, you know, we just like, ah, go... Her, and, you know, my my encounters, I had a few with Colin, were so healing because what he said matched the energy that he held. It was absolutely true. And with it came an enormous power that I, I wanted to live at that level of, of, of truth, that mm -hmm. level of congruency. And freedom. Now, your book is about clearing out emotional baggage in order to heal and grow as a soul. Now, it took you about a month of near solitude with occasional encounters, but also a generous helping of physical pain to come out <laughs> the other side. And you were already awake and aware. Are there any shortcuts for us mortals? Well, yeah, I don't think you have to go on the Camino to and do something as, as, as intense. Although I would say welcome and entertain any thought of that possible because it was so exhilarating. But just put your tennis shoes on 
and move the energy and walk with those things you're struggling with and and listen to them rather than than run away from them or let them uh, overwhelm you. Just just walk with them. Walk with your woundings. Walk with your dissatisfaction. Walk with your anger. Walk with because underneath all of that is just a part of you saying, "I hurt. Just love me." Mm. And I don't think you can get there by just thinking. I'm a great thinker. I'm a great meditator. I am a great person who go inside, but. I learned to move the physical energy that your cells hold, that hold these traumas in. If you move your physical energy, and if if you can't walk, if you're if you're, you know, physically incapacitated, then just take your hands and wrap them across your heart and tap your shoulders, left, right, left, right, as you go through these emotions, just because that causes that energy to move up and on. Because it's trapped in yourself. Mm. Yeah. Getting back to the notion of layers, um, your relationship with your father actually underwent um, posthumously a real shift. Huge. We made peace. And we, we connected in love. And I don't want to give it away, but my <laughs> father showed up in so many undisputable ways for mm-hmm. me that I felt he never did in his when he was alive. He showed up. And he showed up in a way that says, I love you. Wow. And you and I'm here. And that was so, makes me want to cry now because it was that huge. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned. And I did want people to know, just just to add a little addendum to that, that even you can make peace and have a healing, even with those who crossed over, if it was unfinished business. And who of us who have parents don't have some degree of unfinished business? <laughs> They're human. Absolutely, absolutely. You mentioned putting on your tennis shoes and getting out there. Tell us about your feet. They were like a light motif (laughs) running through the narrative. Did they they ever manage to heal? I trashed my feet so badly. (laughs) And it was because it was the part of me that was my weakness that trashed my feet. Because I'm so in my spirit and so in my expanded self that... I didn't really put a lot of attention to or time or preparation for this Camino. I just was sort of shoved it in last, you know, prepare for Camino, like days before I took off. I never broke my boots in. I just kind of grabbed them, you know, right before I went, and they didn't fit. And on the very first day, I trashed and bruised every single one of my toenails, and then I doctored them with a little needle and some a fellow pilgrim taught me to doctor them and then they all became incredibly infected and then my nerve I got nerve damage because I should have had insoles and and how I made it is is a testimonial that miracles happen my nerves have healed and my toenails finally healed 
But it took a long time. And I have one toe that I think is permanently trashed. But it doesn't hurt. It's just kind of boing. It's okay. It's like, okay, small price to pay for the peace I achieved experience. Well, I was just gobsmacked with the grit that you had to keep on getting up every single day and heading out. <laughs> you know, that I do have. And, oh, my God, those were, there were days where it's like, really? I don't want to do this. <laughs> and yet, I do have to say, just also, the Camino itself has a very compelling draw kept pulling me back in and I that no matter how I woke up in the morning just with so much resistance because I was aching and in pain and exhausted and over it the minute I had my little sad Camino breakfast I'd be I'd want to get going Mm -hmm. I I would be over my resistance Mm mm-hmm so, yeah, it does. T- it did take a bit of grit, I will say. That, but it was it was worth it. And besides, what was I going to do? I mean, I had planned my escape several times. <laughs> I get a bus. I'm going to get out of here. No one will know. I mean, definitely that crossed my mind more than once. <laughs> now, prayer was important to you on this journey. What do you feel you were connecting with? I pray constantly. But my prayer at this point on this journey was, I knew that of my own sheer willpower, that would not be enough for me to, to, to succeed and to succeed in healing. But it was, it was more of... It's like, I'm, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. My heart is broken. My head is hurting. My back is broken. My, I'm in trouble. Please take care of me, was my constant prayer. And it was answered. And it was the first time in my life that those were the kind of prayers I prayed. My prayers were, let me pray for everyone. Let me pray for others. Let me pray in gratitude. You know, I prayed those prayers and still do. But never was I humbled saying, I'm in trouble. And I need, I really need something that I can't find in myself. Please. I think that that particularly resonates, sorry guys, but it particularly resonates with women because we are in the mode of nurturer, of caretaker, of caregiver, and we all too often don't even, you know, put ourselves last uh, if we put ourselves in the queue at all. And um, this, this... Asking for help, accepting help. This was another theme in your book. The notion of accepting goodness, accepting compassion from others instead of always being given on the giving end was so important and validating. I think that was really the biggest healing for me. Hmm. That to be able to say, help me without shame or guilt 
or resistance or feeling like I was asking for too much, which basically as a woman, I think that that's just sort of the underlying cultural expectation. And and I certainly subscribe to. Oh, I'm fine. I'm I'm the I'm the I'm the one of seven kids who doesn't need anything. That's how I'll make myself acceptable around here. And so, thank you for bringing that up because I really do believe that was the healing. Yeah. Tell me the difference between the ego and the spirit, as you see it. I think our ego is the self that had to get um, created in order to survive the human journey. The self that says, I'm fine when you're five and you're not fine. You know, the self that says, I'll show up to please you so that I won't be vulnerable because I could die. Which you could if you're, if you're so 100% vulnerable, you have no power. So it's it's I don't I don't have a problem with the ego. I if it if we see it as a boat across a vulnerable water that we need to step out of. Once we begin to come back into our own authentic power. But when we're just lost in the boat drifting down the river, you know, hitting the using our paddles to hit every other boat and they're all perceived as potential threats, then we're, we really are lost. So the ego was one thing I did see whenever I was in my ego energy, and this was quite an extraordinary thing. It was heavy. It was too heavy to carry. When I was in my ego, I could barely walk. Hmm. I was in that part of me that was like, screw them and na 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 and... How dare, you know, that ranting ego, that victim ego, how could this happen? You know, it's like it had many voices. It tried them all. But I did notice that just the simple task of getting through my 20 miles from a day destiny, you know, destination, that I couldn't carry my ego. It was too heavy to carry. And when I started to let it go, when it started to be quiet, once it, I, I always consider my ego a barking dog. And after it barked and barked and finally tired of barking, my walk became lighter. And and each day, a little layer of that ego self would that isolated me out from the flow of life was less present. And my walk got easier and easier and easier in spite of the fact that my feet were devastated. Hmm. You... Uh, offered a great parable um, in the story of the Paso Honoroso, the, that bridge with the knight, uh, talking about the bondage of attachments and victimhood. Can you share yeah. that with us? Well, the bridge was built because this knight loved a princess who rejected him. And that rejection caused him to, he built this bridge and took on an entire army to prove, you know, that he, to redeem his honor. And, and it was such an overwhelming task. It was insane. It was an insane commitment to my vindication of my rejected self. And, and I saw that and what, what, 
you know, the, the, the whole legend was that he, you know, took on a whole army and turned him away to win the approval of the beloved. I don't know, when I saw that and I was staring at that, and there's actually a picture of that bridge in the, in the middle of the book, I thought, God, the, the, the length to which we're willing to go to defend, to defend the things, the wrong things. Yeah. No. It was very, it was very um, enlightening for me. I have a bit of that, you know. I talk about that. I was a good warrior. I was a. I'm going to prevail. I'll, you know, I'll. In Monty Python, they have this whole scene where there's a soldier you encounter, you know, stops and he gets his leg cut off, and he's like grabs his sword with the other arm, and he gets his arm cut off, and then he's kicking him with one leg and butting him with the head, and he ends up being essentially this bloodied stump going, come back here, you chicken. And I thought, that's me. That's me. And so I saw a bit of that on that fridge, too. I definitely always had a degree of humor in all of it. Yeah. Tell us about karmic ties to the past. They, they keep on cropping up for you as well. Well, I, you know, and I did say in the book, whether or not you subscribe to this, you know, the, the fairy tale, we'll call it, is that I believe in past lives. And I just felt so strongly that I was called there to heal because I had past lives on that Camino as a crusader. And when I, I used to have dreams as a child, and I'd even written about it in my very first book before. I never knew what a Camino was, but I always had these dreams of being part of a secret religious society. And a lot of dark things would happen. And, you know, if you look into the history of the Crusaders, talk about noble suffering and, you know, ego to a large degree. Huge. It's pretty dark, actually. And I, I just knew when I got on that Camino, I've been here before. And I've mm-hmm. come here to complete something. And maybe it was with my husband. Maybe it was something, and I do feel that it was completed. It was completed, whatever. Like, I I exercised various, I entertained rather various um, stories. I was one up, he was one down. He was on the right side, I was on the left side. You know, he was the king, I was the prince. He was the pauper, I was the oppressor. I mean, and maybe they were all part of it. But I knew by the time I had finished walking, I got to a particular castle, the Knights Templar Castle, which is an unbelievable edifice. It was over. And I can't tell you the liberation that I felt from that. So whether it was a fairy tale I made up and the fairy tale was over, it was really past lives, is kind of irrelevant. What's relevant is that this struggle, this power struggle, that I had been in with my husband, I no longer felt the need to fight. And what a liberation. Because I was going to fight to the end. So uh, that definitely very much is a big part of the Camino. You talk about whether people believe in past lives or not. When you think of 
of the the inheritance that we get from our ancestors you know we certainly see um physical traits being passed down we see um susceptibility to diseases being passed down mm-hmm. we know that emotions are encoded and are held within ourselves it seems to me to be perfectly reasonable to think of these um experiences and emotions uh of our ancestors being passed down absolutely and they've even done studies i i was actually working with a man who was helping me rehabilitate my feet when i came home who gave me an article where they actually do see the emotional um encoding they're actually discovering scientifically our emotional genetic encoding and that it it is passed down so whether it was my direct experience it was in the family lineage we all can trace our lineage back to some place of war and struggle and defeat and suffering and i feel that walking with this conscious prayer to heal that encoding shifted mm. you know i do have to say it wouldn't have shifted had i not open myself to that healing and move the physical energy of my body as much as i had and from memory one of the best ways to move this physical energy is through forgiveness forgiveness of them and forgiveness of yourself right which and here was the interesting thing all my life i thought i had so forgiven and never even took offense that was the path i was willing to live it's like i love my parents i didn't have i'm i'm good i understand yeah it's a problem but i didn't take offense but in fact that was denying that i was really affected and wounded by unconscious behavior and so i was sort of i was using a bypass mm-hmm. and so my forgiveness was an intention and a desire but it hadn't really settled into my bones to the point that I truly forgave which means I didn't even think about it anymore and it was I was freed of it freed of it not just oh I got this when I forgive it which in a lot of ways oh I got that one all wrapped up it's in the basement <laughs> it's not in my it's not in my view it's good i i i tacked it away down the storage room we're good <laughs> so so forgiveness for me was clean out the basement uh <laughs> have a garage sale get rid of it right <laughs> move it on really so it's not even there anymore yeah Another important point you make is that our lives are the accumulation of all the choices we have made in our lives that we've created our own life circumstance and and you develop this sense of interconnectedness of all the events in your life. Give our listeners a a sense of this kind of matrix that you became aware of. Well, you know, just kind of 
continuing on, I just saw that I'm, we, as souls, we all come in with, with certain signatures. And one that I could see in retrospect was this signature of being an idealist and devoted to that ideal that I would devote myself to every person in every situation to help it become its best version. That was part of me. That's, a, that's part of who I am. But I also realized as I walked that that idealism often blinded me to accurately assessing who I was being idealistic with. Therefore, I did have a recurring relationships with people that I kept attracting, which were all versions of the same of people who had gone so opposite that they were living so not their ideal. And I'd be sort of, I'd show up like Dudley Do-Right, I'll save you now. I'll help you, I'll teach you, I'll lift you up, I'll celebrate you, I'll see the best in you. But what I ended up getting again and again and again was just being taken, exploited and taken advantage of. Because I did not, I did not recognize that they were not committed to their ideal. Only I was. And that caused me a lot of personal relationship trauma. And on that... Camino, as I walked, I thought, well, who the hell am I to start deciding what their ideal is? How intrusive of me in the first place. So then I flipped it, it all flipped around all over again. You know, that I would come in and say, well, I see a better version of you. Let's both do that with you instead of, wow, this is where you are. Well, love you very much and good luck with this experience you're having. Hmm. I respect your experience. So that's another humbling. Rather than my righteous indignation and how could you do this to me? I've been so good to you, which I had to walk with for quite a few miles until I couldn't carry that load anymore. It became like, well, wait a minute. How presumptuous that that was my role. Certainly... I was never asked. I, I, nobody ever came specifically to say, I know there's better to me. Could you help me un, un, you know, unfurl that? So it was, again, very impressive, which is where I found forgiveness and for all of us because we were all just doing what we were doing with our blind spots in place. But do you think you can ever, uh, even if you wanted to, ever change anyone? Isn't? Never. Doesn't change have to come from inside? That's my whole point. Here I come in like Dudley Do-Right with my bag of tools, which do work if someone wants to change. But if that motivation isn't in coming from the inside, I definitely had the clear, absolutely unbiased revelation that I can't and have not changed anyone. Yeah. And what a effort of wasted effort it was and what an arrogant effort on my part. 
And what an effort that was not self-loving because putting all that energy to change someone else could have been going into something that would have made me happy. (laughs) (laughs) That was a whole other revelation. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of that old joke, how many alternative practitioners does it take to change a light bulb? And the answer is only one, but the light bulb has to want to change. I love that. (laughs) I love that. What were the some of the motivations of the different pilgrims you came across along the way? Was there any kind of common theme to their journeys? You know that I think deep down inside the the common theme was I was called. Uh-huh. Everyone just said I felt moved to come. I was called. And there were people from all over the world. I had South Koreans and Argentinians and Chinese and Swedes and just Mexico, everywhere. Um, I was called. It was big. And that really was very healing for me, that this common human thread was there. The other, the other, the other thing was I'm in a transition time. And I can't see around the bend. There were a few people who said, oh, I just want a cheap vacation. But you know the interesting thing? They didn't make it. Mm-hmm. They self-selected out. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. They self-selected out. Only those who really showed up with some receptivity of heart and mind made it. To really just be present to what the experience would give them without needing to control it. Those are the ones that made it to Santiago. Well, it really is a fairly momentous undertaking. I mean, people have died on the Camino. You know, a woman died the day after I walked over right behind me because it has been snowing on the, on the Pyrenees Mountains and it was closed hours after I started. Hmm. And, of course, a, a poor woman died right behind me. It just kind of was traumatic yeah and yet i just you know it's wow are there any kind of easily um articulatable core lessons that you feel the camino taught you it taught me that To remember that as clever and as sophisticated as my mind has become with years and years and years of spiritual practice and study, that in the real wisdom lies in surrendering and just listening and being present and noticing the grace and beauty that's here. And to think very little and just be present. That was a, probably the biggest one. That, that really is such a difficult lesson for us in the modern world to, to just be quiet and, and be present with all of the demands of modern life. But it's such an important lesson to learn. You know, our culture doesn't support that 
because our culture doesn't accept that there's any value to being quiet or any value to listening as opposed to doing, talking, you know, being in the action mode. So, and then the other thing that really is profoundly different is that nature is a living being with many, many, many facets, but it's a live consciousness. It's not just a backdrop for us to walk around on, like a big, you know, canvas. It's alive. And I have as much respect for nature and as much relationship with nature now as I have with the people in my life. That really came across beautifully in your book. I mean, you you painted the most glorious word pictures um, as, as you traversed the the countryside. Um, it is so important for us city people to find ways to get out into nature. I suppose we could do it locally. I mean, do, do you feel that we have to kind of no, I walk. I live in Chicago, and I am in the city. But I now go every morning, and I walk across. I walk along the lake, mm-hmm. and I listen. I walk with the trees. I don't have a lot of time. I have, you know, I just have my responsibilities. But I manage to have about thirty-five, forty minutes a day, and that's enough to keep me fed and present and respectful. And going back to this self-love and self-nurture, it, it's really important to make that commitment to yourself to give that gift of time to yourself, isn't it? It is. It's like selfish of me. But it's like self. Um, it's like self-loving of me. Yeah. To go. Yeah. So excuse me, but I have to go do a self-loving act. I'll be back in a while. Nobody argues with that. Like, what? (laughs) Self-love break. (laughs) Yeah, excuse me. Self-love break. That's truly what it is. So, Sonia, what are you working on now? Do you have any new books or projects in the office? I am working on one. It's a small book, but I I am working on a book on meditation and intuition. Because these are the two things that I believe we need to give serious consideration to if we want to live an authentic life, because they are the doors. They're the doorways to that. Mm-hmm. They're the bridges. And yet I do recognize that, you know, especially, you know, there's not a lot of people, I'm not writing to, to India. I'm writing to the Western world where sitting in, in, in the classic meta-Buddhist follow the breath meditation just may never work. <laughs> So I'm I'm ready to ways to tap in that that will work because I just am not a believer that one size fits all. I believe there's many ways for us 
to make that connection. And so that's what this little book is about, is just hear some ways. And meditation, first you have to kind of learn how to quiet your mind. And then there's a certain type, certain types of meditative practices that will have you directly linked to this inner dialogue with your with your dear authentic self and with the divine realm. They're, they're, it's a one, two-step kind of deal. But it's going to be a very small, simple book. I believe that less is more on the subject, to tell you the truth. Here, here. Well, I can't wait to see it. I hope you'll send me an early copy. <laughs> Thank you so much. Sonia, what is your website? SoniaShoquette.com. It's my name, and that's a mouthful. So it's S-O-N-I-A. And then my last name, C H O. Q-U-E-T-T-E dot com. <laughs> and the book is on the home page. Plus, I have a lot of tools that are gifts for people. Free, free meditations and, you know, music and things that will help awaken that spirit that gets so beaten down. Indeed. Well, Sonia Choquette, author of Walking Home, A Pilgrimage from Humbled to Healed, thank you so much for being with us. Remember that the books that we discuss here on NCR Radio are just the tip of the iceberg of what you can find on ncreview.com. We have thousands of books and reviews and interviews, which makes for lots of happy browsing. Next week, we're going to have our Reviewers Roundtable, where we bring together a bunch of reviewers and discuss some of our favorite books of the past few months. And now we're going to close with our track of the week by Amy Steinberg, called Exactly.
to raise your vibration, feel good, be joyful, and radiate love by the very talented singer-songwriter Amy Steinberg. Amy's website is amysteinberg.net. And we want to congratulate Amy on having just successfully completed a Kickstarter campaign to wrap up her latest CD, which I'm sure we are all going to adore. Well, I think that's our show for today, and I'm glad you were with us, and I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you'll join us next week. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>